Lord, we come to you now. We thank you for today. We thank you for this study and discipleship. And Lord, this is a big topic with richness to it. And Lord, just the few pages I have prepared doesn't even begin to plumb the depths of all that you would have us to do in discipleship. Lord, we pray that this time would be glorifying to you, would be edifying to one another, that it would stir us up to love one another all the more for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, the story goes, it's after church, you and another strong believer are talking. And he says to you, look, I would love to be more involved in church. I love to contribute, but no one has asked me to do anything. No one's asked me to teach. No one's asked me to do a Bible study. There's been nothing. Is there anything I can do? Now, the question is, then to you who have received that question, is what do you say? What do you say to that person who feels like there's absolutely nothing for them to do in the local church? Where does your mind first run to? Are there any events or programs that they can go and help with? Is there a job around the church that needs to get done? Is there a ministry that they can join to feel like they're contributing? Now, I'm sure in the past, you guys have heard that question given to you, and you may have asked that very question yourself. Now, as we will go through today, the answer that I pray that we all have hinges on and centers on discipleship rather than busy work or joining a club or doing different things. Now, I've been asked to teach on discipleship, and truthfully, I feel pretty inadequate on teaching on this topic. But thankfully, the Lord uses weak vessels such as me to accomplish his great work. Because he is a great and mighty and powerful God and graciously equip weak vessels. Now, should you feel the same, that you feel inadequate to do discipleship, I pray that you remember that you too, you serve a mighty God who is able. And he really doesn't care how we feel about something. Amen to that? That's right. Because he will equip you. He will sustain you. He will guide you. Because of his mighty power. And because he will accomplish his will. And not our own. So, like I said earlier, there's no outline for you to have. But three simple points. And those are, why discipleship? What discipleship is not? And what discipleship is. So why, what is not, and what it is. So point number one. Why discipleship? Why are we talking about this today? So you may be asking, why should I disciple? Or why should I be discipled? I have my study Bible. I have a commentary at home. What more could I possibly need? There may be other questions such as, Am I qualified to do discipleship? I'm way too busy. Where do I have time to do discipleship? Or is it really a need for me to do? Now, as we look into these questions and try to answer them, we first must practice a little discernment. When we are asking these questions, we have to ask, are these questions the root issue or are they a fruit issue of a deeper issue? Now, I would argue that these questions, they're the fruit of a deeper issue in our hearts. Because it is a heart issue. Because the question is, 
why and who should engage in discipleship. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the who and the why. And I'm going to kind of bounce between the who and the why back and forth interchangeably because you can't separate the who and the why. They are connected. So with that, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It's Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So why discipleship? Very simply, Jesus commands it. He commands us to do it. Now, if you look at verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. This is the thrust of the passage. We all love the word go. Go and send missionaries. We love that work. But it's not the main emphasis of this passage. It is on making, that we are to make disciples. And what should we be making? Disciples. And what should we be teaching these? We should be teaching them in verse 20 all the things I have commanded you to teach them, to observe them, to do them. So another reason why we need to be doing discipleship. This is another big question, the issue that the church is facing today. Now, the issue that our church, any church, is facing is not being canceled. It's not lack of involvement. It's not low giving. Rather, these are just problems they're just symptoms the problem that we face in many churches today is a problem of biblical illiteracy biblical illiteracy people just don't know their bibles very well and that's a sad thing because we don't have an excuse not to know them correct we all have multiple versions of hard copies probably versions on our phones we're surrounded by the text but yet many don't know the text at all So, if we don't know our Bibles, how can we even begin to know who Jesus is? For he is the Logos. He is the Word. And if you say, I want to know Jesus more, then you better open up your Bibles and you need to read. For example, husbands, how do you, know to, how do you get to know your wife better? Well, you spend time with her. You ask her questions. You seek out her heart. You listen. Well, if you don't spend time with her and you don't ask questions, you're not going to know her very well. The same can be said about knowing Jesus. How can we know Jesus if our Bibles are closed six days out of the week and our prayer life is all but absent? We cannot know him. Now, we live in a day in which everyone tells us, you need to devote time to spend on yourself. Go do some hobbies. Go play some golf. Go in the gym. Do some woodworking. Go camping. Watch a sports game. All these things. Go do these things for you. Are these things bad? Are they a bad thing to do? No. Are there more profitable things that we can be doing? Yes. 
So the question is, you have to ask your own heart. Are these things I'm doing, are they profitable? Are they the most profitable for me to be doing? And if you have a hard time answering that, talk to a fellow believer and ask them, this is what's going on in my life. Can you help me see clearly? Am I prioritizing my time well? Now, I'm going to ask a, a few simple questions. You can answer them in your own heart. About do we know Jesus or not? Do you know the stats of your favorite Blues or Cardinals player better than you know what Jesus truly loves? Do you know what's happening politically, locally, or globally better than what the gospel is? Can you give a complex Starbucks coffee order perfectly every time to make your wife always happy? Or do you know where to find the golden chain of redemption in the book of Romans? Do we, do I, know more about a hobby than about Jesus? Do we, do I, bleed the Bible if we're cut? Those are the questions on our hearts that we need to be working through. Now, to continue on, we're going to look at the question of who should be engaged in discipleship. Now, if we remember in our text in the Great Commission, Jesus is giving this commission to all believers. All of us are to engage in the Great Commission. And now, this charge that he's given is not just for pastors or elders. It's not just for people who've gone to seminary and gotten theologically trained. It's for all of us. And that is a beautiful thing. No one is singled out. All are included. And Paul echoes this in the book of Titus. And in chapter 2, and verses 3 through 8, he calls all of this the older to the younger. To train them, to teach them. And the older are the mature ones. They are to be teaching the younger ones what it means to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. There's a duty of all believers to engage in discipleship. This means that the older saints are actively seeking out younger saints to come alongside them and to study the word and to pass on wisdom. Now, if you're younger, you don't get to sit idly by. You have a duty as well. You cannot just sit there and wait to be asked. You need to be seeking out the older saints and asking them, would they be willing to meet with you and to study together? And with that, we need to turn our attention to what discipleship is. So, what is discipleship according to the Bible? The word disciple is a learner who follows a master teacher. In contrast to our Western era, learning in Jesus' time was a very relational and holistic endeavor. Discipleship meant much more than just a transfer of information. It referred to the imitating the teacher's life and calculating his values and reproducing his teachings. Since you're in Matthew, go and turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. We are called to be like Jesus, to know what he loves, to know what he commands, to know what pleases and honors and glorifies him. We are to know these things and then to live it out. 
Discipleship is not just to, about growing in our knowledge of the Bible, but it's about knowing Jesus more and loving him more. But through the mighty work of sanctification, a believer is being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus day after day, year after year, decade after decade. It's a beautiful, lifelong process. The more we know our Bibles, the more we know the Savior who loves our souls and has saved them. The more we will love what He loves, hate the things He hates. We live a life that is pleasing to Him, and we want and we will tell others about Him. Now, if you remember what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This can only be done. Our Bibles are open. We're reading. We're praying. We're fellowshipping with others and asking questions. Who is this Jesus who my soul longs for? That my heart longs to know. So, why discipleship? It is commanded by Jesus. It's commanded by Paul. We are to do it. Because it grows us in our knowledge of the scriptures and of Jesus. We're going to unpack this even more in our last point today. So, point number two. What discipleship is not. Now, what I'm about to say, I hope, does not surprise you in the least bit. But discipleship is not merely friendship. It's not merely friendship. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that friendship is bad. But on the contrary, friendship is good. We need friendships in our lives. We have to have them. We need to be with others that we can laugh with, that we can cry with, that we enjoy spending time together and we're making memories and just living life. We need those people in our lives. But we can't confuse that with true discipleship. So there's much that can be said about friendship, but for our topic today, we need to focus on discipleship. So, when I say it is not mere friendship, what do I mean? Now, this has to mainly pertain to the content of the conversations that are taking place. Take a moment and reflect upon some of the conversations you've had this week with your friends. Probably normal, good conversations you've had. Probably staying more at the casual level. And you're not deep, deep, uh, going deep into each other's lives. You're talking about maybe the latest Blues or Cardinals game. You're talking about what the coach did right or what he probably did wrong. You're talking about the weather, your job, the kids. Once again, am I saying that these conversations are bad? No. But to confuse these conversations with true discipleship, we're missing the point of it. And we're going to stay on friendship for a touch longer. So reflect to the last time you spent time together with a friend. Could you define that time with a clear and definite purpose? Or was it a time in which you just enjoyed each other's company? Once again, is that wrong? Is that bad? By no means. It is good for our hearts to just enjoy being in the presence with our friends. But there's more to it than just that for discipleship. Because mere friendship conversations... They may not touch discussing the Bible, the struggles of our heart, or spending time in prayer. 
should every single conversation you have with your friends hit upon these things? My answer, as much as you're able to, yes, you should. However, I'm fully aware that those deeper conversations can't happen every single time. There are kids screaming in the background in your house. Food needs to get cooked. There's working late at the job. So many things come together to limit our time together. But that also shouldn't prevent us from just sharing meals and fellowshipping with one another either. So when we're having conversations that are more general, more lax, lighthearted, even those conversations, remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Which means... All of our conversations need to be Bible-saturated. They need to be saturated with the love of Christ and for the love of one another. Once again, you can have fun, laugh, enjoy the time. But don't do it at the expense of others. Don't be gossiping and all those other things. But to encourage one another and to give grace. So before we move on to our third and final point, I know point two was very fast. But point three is where our meat is. Let me restate Friendships are a good and necessary thing to have. Having conversation, having casual conversations is okay. My warning to you is to make sure your conversations that you are having just don't stay there. If they are, we're missing so much. So with that, let's move on to point number three in the bulk of our study today. What discipleship truly is. So when I was working through the books, going through the scriptures, and thinking upon, what's discipleship? Like, I need a definition. I need to put my hat on that peg. So the definition I put together is, it's an intentional time between believers in which they read, discuss, and study the scriptures, and to pray for and with one another, all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So one more time. Discipleship is an intentional time between believers in which they read, discuss, and study the scriptures and to pray for and with one another, all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, another good, strong definition that I found was, quote, Discipleship is a progressive journey of growing in Christ's likeness until every believer is presented completely mature in Christ. Now, where I found that was on CFPC's website under articles about discipleship. There's some good articles there, so I wanted to highlight that. So if you like the long one or the short one, that's fine. But for our purpose today, we're going to look at the big one and we're going to just unpack it phrase by phrase. So the first phrase in that big definition is intentional time. So if you can, turn to Deuteronomy 6. You probably have this all memorized. I'm sure if I asked, there'd be quite a few who could just say it off the top of your head with all the love and affection that your heart can muster. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children. I shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this was a charge given from Moses to the people about parents teaching their children. It's an intentional mindset that we as parents and you as parents, we have to have with our children. Us teaching our children about God is never done by accident. Rather, there is a purposeful, intentional effort given to the teaching of the scriptures to the children. Once again, it's not by accident. We have to be mindful of this. Now, thankfully, I praise the Lord. I am able to be one of the teachers for our catechism classes here at church in the 2 p.m. hour. I love it. It's great. It's fun teaching the young ones. You probably hear them screaming downstairs when we're asking them, who made you? And they scream out, God. And it's great. And we have the deeper studies with the older kids. It's such an encouraging time for my own heart and for them. But all that to say, these two catechism questions for our younger ones and our older ones, it's a supplement. It's a supplement for what should be and ought to be going on at home. The class here, the catechism classes, are not primary. The primary place of teaching is in the home, not in our catechism classes. As much as fun as they are, it's the parents' rule. I, thankfully, get to come along the side and help. But there's an intentional mindset that the parents are teaching their children. Now, if we turn back to Matthew, once again, Matthew 28, back to the Great Commission. And we've already looked at it. We spent some time on it. We won't go too much more into it. But I want to make sure that we know that Jesus is giving a clear command that we are to go and make and teach. As with the Deuteronomy text, there has to be a clear intention of doing these things. Once again, we just don't accidentally share the gospel with someone. We don't accidentally teach about the hypostatic union of Christ. That's just not going to happen around you know, fried chicken and mashed potatoes. We have to be intentional about what we're saying. There has to be a purposeful, intentional effort to go and to make. Now, turn to Acts 2. And this is all about just what it means to have intentional time. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We see here that at the start of the very start of the church age, believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and spending time in prayer with one another. Now, I like the definition for the Greek word for devoted. It means attending to constantly. You could say it as if they steadfastly continuing in the teaching, which means they didn't stop. Their mind, their hearts were devoted. They were steadfast on 
spending time in the prayer, spending time with one another, spending time in the word, they devoted themselves. They intentionally made time for what was important for them. That was the apostles' teaching, the scriptures, breaking of bread, fellowship, communion, and spending time in prayer. This is an attitude in which we all have to be striving for, that we let nothing, absolutely nothing, get in the way of reading God's word. This is the clearest of intentions. We are to be striving to make fellowshipping with fellow believers and having the word open between us as a top priority. Why? Because the foundational content of the believer's spiritual growth and maturity are the scriptures. All this is done in the context of fellowship along with personal devotion time. Meaning, at home, your time of personally reading God's word and having your own quiet prayer time is essential. Nothing stops it. That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of intentionality. If you have young kids, we all know the struggle of the, Mom, I'm hungry. Well, sorry, little girl. Please sit down. Mommy needs to be reading. Or, Dad, I want to go outside and play. Sorry. I have to be in God's Word so I can make sure I love you correctly. Our kids need to see that God's Word is more important than they are. That they are not the center of our universe, let alone they're not the center of their universe. The center is Christ Jesus and Him alone. And we have to be intentional about that. We have to be teaching that to one another and to our children. So, on to our second term, between believers. So, in Acts 2.42, we see that fellowship is critical because Christians become partakers with Jesus and with all other believers. It is our spiritual duty to stimulate one another to righteousness and obedience. Meaning... You can't be by yourself all the time. You can't be neglecting fellowship time with fellow believers. As someone asks you over for dinner and you are able to go, go. If you don't know that person, all the more. But being scared or saying, I'm an introvert, not an excuse. We have to be fellowshipping with one another. It has to be intentional. Now, true discipleship, as we have defined, only happens between true believers. Now, the question was asked of me when I was sharing about what I was going to be teaching, but what about Deuteronomy 6? What about my kids? What about my unbelieving children? Am I discipling them when I'm teaching them the scriptures? It's a great question. I would argue that when a believing parent is engaging and telling their unbelieving children about God and their need of a Savior, this is both teaching catechism and evangelism they don't know the lord they hate the lord they love the darkness you can't disciple the darkness you disciple in the light but we must be calling them to the light but yeah i love deuteronomy love the charge there because it also provides a great method of discipling now if you want further teaching on that Pastor Jeff has written an article that's on the website about using Deuteronomy 6 as a method of discipleship. It's a great read. It's not very long, but it's thorough, it's concise, and it's tight. So I would love for you guys to read that. 
So still sticking on with betraying believers. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3 and verse 13. Mainly just the first part. But exhort one another every day, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. In the context of Hebrews, we are to be exhorting who? One another. We are to be exhorting one another. This means we are with believers and we are bringing the text of Scripture to bear upon everyday events, upon the hard struggles of just living a life in a sinful, fallen world. But we need to be exhorting one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, reproving, rebuking, counseling, all these things we need to be doing. Once again, it's only between true believers. If it's between someone who has yet to profess faith, it's evangelism time. It's teaching them time. It's not discipleship. Now, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing who? One another and all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Once again, this is between believers Discipleship is between believers. Now, if you ever Googled what are the one another's of the scripture, it's a profoundly long list. And it's amazing. We could spend hours, probably weeks, going over the one another's that are found in the scriptures. But the point is that we are not to walk in the Christian life alone. You're not called to be the Lone Ranger. You're not called to be held up in your house by yourself. You are to be with one another. We are to surround ourselves with fellow believers so that we can love one another fully. If you're by yourself, there is no another. It is you and you, yourself, and I have to be with one another. So moving on through our definition, we are to read, discuss, and study. So turn back to the book of Acts, and Acts 17. Acts 17, starting, we're going to read verse 2 and then verse 11. Acts 17, verse 2. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So So we see Paul is reasoning from what? The Scriptures. Was it his opinion? Was it the daily news article? It's the scriptures and scriptures alone. He, Paul always made it a point to engage the Jews in the synagogues and reason with them using the scriptures. Now for our discussion today, the application is that when we are meeting for discipleship, we are reasoning with one another using the scriptures. Now verse 11 of Acts 17 Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We know this verse. We know about the noble Bereans. We say, how good are they to always be studying the scriptures and seeking out the truth? That should be us. Anything I say here today, look in your Bibles. Test it. 
Find out if it's right or wrong. And if it's wrong, come tell me. This is how we grow together. We should be spending... Sorry. Just like then, we need to be doing the same. Everything I've said today, you need to be testing. If you have a teacher that says, don't check, that's a red flag. Always be checking. Ask your kids if they're in catechism class, what did the teacher say today? Hopefully, one, A, they're listening. And two, they can recite it, but then you can check. Is what he said good today? Was that right? Because today's catechism question is, who should partake of the Lord's Supper? And it's only for believers. Anything less than that is wrong. But ask your children, what did the teacher say today? And it's good for them. It's good for the kids to think, too. So please ask them. So when you're meeting together, ask questions. Seek the scriptures for the fact, not an opinion. That takes discernment. That takes wisdom. But seek the truth of scripture. 2 Timothy 2.15 do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Doing this means it's a zealous persistence in accomplishing a goal. The goal to teach God's word completely, accurately, and clearly. So present yourself to God as one approved, that you're not ashamed, that you have spent the time studying Knowing Jesus, knowing what he loves, hating what he hates. Also requires that we have precision and that we have accuracy and we are, that's required in biblical interpretation. Beyond all other enterprises, nothing more calls for such greater precision because souls are at stake. If we get it wrong, the hearts and souls will bear the penalty. Anything less than a zealous persistence to accomplish the goal, to teach God's word completely, accurate, clearly, with precision, anything less is shameful. It's a high call to know God and to know him rightly. Because one of the goals of discipleship is that we are growing in our knowledge of the Bible, of Christ, and our ability to rightly apply the word to our lives. Does that mean we're going to do it right every single time? Get the application perfect? No. We have a lifetime of working on application. Praise the Lord. And we have fellow believers who love us, who encourage us and gently correct us when we've applied it wrong. But praise the Lord that someone loves us, that loves the Lord and loves us to do that. So, continuing continuing through our definition, get to scriptures. What are the scriptures? Well, it's the most important part of discipleship. It is the most. Because without the scriptures, there is no discipleship. Now, I thought about finding a bunch of proof texts for this section on why the scripture is so important. However, our statement on what we teach about the Bible couldn't do any better. So I'm just going to read this. This is on the church's website. It's about what we teach. This is the doctrine of the Bible. And it says, quote, We teach that the Bible is God's written revelation to man, and thus the 66 books of the Bible given to us by the Holy Spirit constitute the plenary, which is inspired equally in all parts, Word of God. We teach that the Word of God is an objective, propositional revelation, verbally inspired in every word, 
absolute and errant and original documents, infallible and God-breathed. We teach the literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture, which affirms the belief that the opening chapters of Genesis present creation in six literal days. We teach the Bible constitutes the only infallible rule of faith and practice. We teach that God spoke in his written word by process of dual authorship. The Holy Spirit so superintended the human authors that though their individual personalities and different styles of writing, they composed and recorded God's word to without error in the whole or in the part. We teach, whereas there may be several applications of any given passage of Scripture, there is but one true interpretation. The meaning of Scripture is to be found as one diligently applies the literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation under the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. It is the responsibility of believers to ascertain carefully the true intent and meaning of Scripture. Recognizing the proper application is binding on all generations. Yet the truth of Scripture stands in judgment of men. Never do men stand in judgment of it. Scriptures are mighty. The Scriptures are lovely. The Scriptures are powerful. Our focus is on that. So when we are meeting for discipleship, the Bible must be open. Don't have it closed and off to the side has to be open and in front of us. And our focus is on that. Why? If you can, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Once again, Pius, scripture you guys have all memorized and it's near and dear to your hearts. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 16. Okay. I know why I'm wrong. I was in Ephesians. But we know by 2 Timothy when it says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for reproving, correcting, teaching, training up in righteousness. That these things, the scriptures do. Not by our power. But by God's power alone that is accomplished. But it happens when we have it open. We're reading it and we're hiding it in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit takes and applies it to our lives. It's because the scriptures are in us. They can't be in us when it's closed and on the shelf. And we neglect it. And the only time we open it is at church. It's open seven days a week. As much as it possibly can. So with prayer. Prayer and discipleship. So prayer is the very lifeblood of a believer's life. Having an intentional and strong and fervent prayer life is critical for all believers. Prayer reminds us that we cannot do any of this on our own strength and understanding. Amen to that. We are the weak vessels. Prayer helps us remember our proper place below God and our desperate need of Him. Philippians 4, 6. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is important. God wants to hear our prayers. He wants to help His children. As much as we love as parents, when our children come to ask for help and say, Daddy, can you help me put this necklace on? We bend down and we clasp that little clasp. We love that. 
How much more does God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of you, wants to help you? Cry out to the Lord in discipleship for one another. and Seek Him. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. The Holy Spirit loves to pray. See the tenderness of His wanting to do this. The hope that we have that our prayers are heard at the throne. That we have access to the throne. If we are meeting together, our Bibles are open, we're reading, we're studying, but we're not praying. We're missing it. Be in prayer for one another and for your own heart. That the Spirit will guide you in your understanding. That He will guide one another in your application. So sticking with that. Discipleship hinges on the power of the Holy Spirit and not our own. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, we know, we know this. It may seem elementary to say this, but we need the Spirit. We have to have the Spirit. You know this, I know this, but it's so good to be reminded of this. Now, just a little reminder of what the Spirit does in His ministry for believers. He adopts us, Romans 8. He bears witness, Acts 5, Romans 8. He convicts, John 16. He empowers, Exodus 31 and Acts 1. He guards, 2 Timothy 1. He helps, John 14. He illuminates, 1 Corinthians. He indwells, Romans 8. He intercedes, Romans 8 and Ephesians 6. He reveals truth. John 14, 1 Corinthians 2, and many, many more ministries that the Spirit does. It's clear that for discipleship to accomplish its work, the Spirit must be present. To repeat our definition, to bring all this together, discipleship is an intentional time between believers in which they read, discuss, and study the Scriptures and to pray for and with one another, all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. That's a lot of information. It feels like I uh, looked at the iceberg and maybe touched the very top of it. But I did want to spend a few minutes to give a few practical examples of what the discipleship could be, what it could look like for different contexts. One of them... Simply maybe going to Starbucks, going to Panera, going to Schnooks or Deerberg's, grabbing a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, having the Bible with you, and you're reading together, you're talking, discussing, praying. Easy half hour to an hour, you can get a lot done with that. Another easy one that we have here is apples of gold, which thankfully, and praise the Lord, our older women are teaching the younger women to live a life pleasing to the Lord. We have the Friday morning men's Bible study in which we're going through books of the Bible and different doctrines, different applications for the church life. Here's a challenge for us fathers and husbands. Take the kids for an hour so that your wife may have time with another lady to meet for discipleship. We can sacrifice our time for our wives as they sacrifice much for us. Another thing you can do in discipleship is to go through a book. Oh. 
We all went through side by side. Great little book. Read it together. Have the scriptures and just cross-reference and see it. Let's say you want to grow in your interpretation. Grab a book on biblical interpretation. Read it together. Discuss it. Look at the scriptures on it. And if you feel very industrious, go through the white whale of biblical doctrine. Read it. Check it. Challenge yourself with it. It's good to stretch and to grow in our knowledge of the scriptures and of doctrine and theology. Discipleship. Much needed. We have no excuse not to do it. And praise the Lord. He loves us when we do it. He loves to see us and to grow us through it. Lord, we come to you now. We thank you for this time, this short study in discipleship. And Lord, we pray that you would take these weak words of mine, that you would use them to impact the hearts. And Lord, it was a convicting time of writing this and studying it, that you love to work in our hearts. Lord, we pray that through this time we can seek one another more and more to grow together, to love one another, all so that we can love you more. We give you thanks, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.